Welcome to Cloud Insiders, the podcast that brings cloud down to earth. As always, head over to cloudinsiders.fm for show notes and other giveaways. Now let's get into it. Thanks for joining me today. I have with me Grant Friend, who's a senior systems engineer over at Nutanix. And I have Darren McDonough, who's a senior consultant with Extrovert. Thanks for joining me, guys. Hi, Oliver. Right, let's get straight into it. For those who don't know, what is the team at Nutanix doing and what's making you grow so fast? We've come from traditional technologies that have been around for, for some time, where data centers have evolved in their own way from standalone servers to centralized storage to virtualization, which is now very mature. I think we're all very familiar with it in the industry as a whole. And then we've come along and looked at this infrastructure, this free-tier traditional infrastructure, and looked at it and decided that that's not quite fit for virtualization because you've got the latency across the network between the local servers to the actual storage. Uh, you're not getting the benefits, potentially, of RAID arrays, for instance. Um, and we've got an infrastructure that was initially built for physical servers and now isn't built for virtual servers or virtual instances. So the guys who founded Nutanix came out from the Google um, file systems, uh, the Facebook web scale infrastructures, where they've got servers that are able to fail fast and provide uh, an infrastructure, a resilient and high-performing infrastructure for the VMs that they run on it, but isn't built on an existing three-tier architecture, whereas, as I say, we've got problems with potentially spinning disks, the latency across the network, uh, and other management components around it. So these guys have come along, looked at it, and said there's an easier and a better way of doing that. And that's really what hyperconvergence is. So how would you define that for us? So yeah, if you take what actually hyperconvergence is, that's where we've taken uh, at least two technologies and brought them closer to each other, natively together. In this case, we've taken converged compute and storage and brought them together in a single node. And, and that's, that's a really good point, because that, that kind of gives you the building blocks of hyperconvergence. Now, no longer do you have to, to go and buy separate components, install them separately, scale them separately. You get these building blocks of compute and storage in one go. So as you deploy, you deploy linearly. You deploy a, a block of hyper-converged infrastructure, whatever that may be, and you've got storage and compute without having to design separate components and provide that separate infrastructure. Mm, absolutely. And, and the benefits of that, you, know, you could look at that and go, well, there's nothing wrong with what we do now. But surely there is. I speak to customers, and I know Darren and I have worked at places where the, the, the CTO, the IT administrators have purchased terabytes of storage, more server and compute than they actually need because they're going to grow into it. And then you've sat there and watched the infrastructure grow, maybe outgrow what they've purchased, or maybe not even grow into what they've purchased. And then the licensing or the expiration has expired on the actual servers and the hardware, and then they need to replace the hardware when they haven't actually used the, the main bulk of the resource that's available to them. So exactly as Darren says at Nutanix and, and other hyperconverged vendors, we provide infrastructures, IT enterprises with building blocks that for what they need now and giving them an, an easy scale-out solution that doesn't require forklift upgrades of their storage um, and doesn't require them to buy big rack-mounted chassis that aren't necessarily fully populated. And, and I hear what you're saying. So is that, is that really the idea of web-scale IT, IT that can scale as you do? Absolutely, yeah. And um, is easier to manage. 
uh, because similarly, when you look at these traditional three-tier architectures, you've generally got three tiers of administrators running them as well, each of them siloing their way, ensuring that there's some magic and mystery behind exactly what they do. Again, many years ago when virtualization started out, the virtualization administrator really ring-fenced what they were doing because there was something secret or special about what they do. And storage administrators do that very much nowadays. Network administrators do as well. When web-scale architecture breaks down those silos and, and makes it much easier to spin up storage, create VMs, and provide really the, the compute, the resource, the power for the DevOps administrators, the applications that are running on it. So it's giving more back. It's making it, it's not only is that scale out ability simpler, it's also the management side of it being much simpler. They're all really good points. And, and it kind of does give you that, that control, really. So for, for large enterprises, they're typically, you know, multiple data centers, uh, multiple solutions, maybe different vendors for a different product or different parts of the business. And, and kind of this this sort of scale, this ability and talk of the cloud and being able to sort of burst into the cloud. And, and you know, you need rapid demand and you've got these elastic resources that the cloud provides you. The, the, the hyper-convergence, that, 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 that gives you back some of that control. It allows you to deliver that, that, that new capacity, that new resource quite dynamically, quite quickly uh, and scale up. Um, an enterprise solution really quickly. So it actually it actually does sort of set some of the focus back into the data center, gives back some of the control. Um, and for those people where cloud isn't an option, hyperconvergence is a really elegant, neat solution for you to be able to grow rapidly, you know, respond uh, respond quickly. And it gives the, bu- the business back, you know, some real agility and control without having to go to a, a cloud provider, perhaps where maybe compliance or governance doesn't allow that. Yeah, and just to carry on, I suppose, from that cloud point as well, myself, my colleagues, and I'm sure our competitors are speaking to enterprises where the CTO is deciding that cloud is a strategy. That's the direction we've got to go because, you know, it's a good place to put our infrastructure when really all the cloud infrastructure is is somebody else's data center. You you don't really have a a management around it. They're just providing you um, resource and compute and the ability to spin up your VMs on it. But you're not able particularly well to manage it. And similarly, you're not able to cost it effectively. You get one price from cloud providers straight up front, but there's other costs behind it as time goes on, as, as you spin up more VMs, which aren't necessarily predictable and easy for you to contain. And, and sometimes cloud perhaps isn't isn't you know in the right place. You know your data somewhere else, and you need to you need to run processing, but your data is elsewhere. Or so having the ability to for you to decide that. Also, companies maybe uh, space is a an issue. You know maybe data centers are full up, but but hyperconvergence gives you a really small footprint for quite a lot of resource. So it really does start to give enterprises, small businesses, even branch offices. Uh, another option that's really elegant and actually from branch office to to head office to corporate data center the same solution can can be deployed at each integrated and managed with it with the same interface so how are today's application demands on infrastructure different to what we've seen in the past if you were just to summarize that for people who are thinking okay i can see why but do i really need to be going this way if i'm going cloud I've got my opinions on it, and I know Darren will have his, or I hope Darren will have his. Um, from my perspective, when we're talking, when I'm talking to customers, the demands haven't changed necessarily so much. It's just the requirement to run these applications in a shorter time period, more efficiently and better, have increased. 
But similarly with that increase or that requirement from the business to have these applications running more efficiently from their perspective, in the background, the code behind it potentially hasn't been improved. These developers are building on top of old code. People have left. It's Some of that code may be inefficient. I'm talking to customers where it's much more cost effective to actually go ahead and purchase a hyper-converged solution with uh, SSDs giving you great performance, and as I said, lowering that latency between the actual storage and the compute, so it's all very local, and you know, chipsets have come on, and it's much cheaper to purchase that hardware than it is to actually pay the developers the money to get that application to run more efficiently. So that's certainly, from my perspective, the way I see it. I'm sure I say, Darren, you have a, your opinions on it? Yeah, I, I think there's sort of a, a number of levels here. I mean, on one aspect of it, you know, applications... Uh, you know, they're all fairly similar. Um, growth and demand, you know, maybe is in peaks and troughs with different businesses. And then every business goes for a rationalization or a transformation at, at some point. And this word cloud comes in, this word like local data center comes in. And, and so when looking at scaling out, scaling up, when looking at rationalizing, when looking at um, combining, uh, you know, and try, trying to sort of reorganize your infrastructure, you'll look at cloud as an option. You'll look at internally as an option. And so... Some people, a lot of people that, that, that I deal with, look at cloud and, and think to themselves, well, we need to start thinking about the cloud. And maybe it's not the right answer for them. But because it's, it's such a, a key word at the moment, because it's such a, you know, and, and it's such a buzzword, people feel that the cloud is the way to go. And, and I think in a lot of cases, it absolutely is. But for some people, hosting it internally is just, just as viable as an option. And the other side is, is really where you've got, capability or you don't have capability and the business will turn around and say well okay we need you to provide us with x amount of storage we need you to provide about x amount of iops we need x amount of compute and resource power and actually we need it yesterday and they turn around to it and they say well we've got to now specify san um or to, to provide that that many iops is is you know hundreds of thousands of pounds which is a lot of money we need this amount okay now we've got to start thinking about compute resource now that's data center space um, and all of that then will, will lead the, the company, the business perhaps, maybe sort of the business systems components within within the organisation to say, well, local IT isn't agile enough. We need to then provide this. We need this now. And they'll go externally and they'll buy that service with it, um, externally for themselves. And with the opening of a firewall port potentially, they can get that you know within days, um, maybe hours. And and so IT has to be agile enough to kind of meet the demands of the business. And, and if they're not, the business is going to look elsewhere. With hyperconvergence, that gives you the ability and the agility to meet business demand really quickly um, internally within your own IT infrastructure. And that means, you know, corporate IT, they keep control. They don't have to relinquish that. You don't have to start extending. Because if the business do go and buy from the cloud without, without prior planning, without prior thought, then you find that you know it will start to fall short at some point. And when it falls short, IT are then forced to maybe extend solutions into the cloud. So a cloud strategy is excellent if it's brought through, if things are extended appropriately. But if it's brought by the business to, to satisfy short-term demand, then it, it will often fall short. And hyperconvergence can give you that real agility to deploy into the data center really quickly and deliver both capacity, performance, and, and in short timescales. Thank you for that. So in terms of trends in integration and, and adoption of hyperconvergence, what are you seeing, Darren, with, with clients and, and how they look to, to start adopting? 
And I, I suppose it varies. I've, I've been a certain customer now, a financial services customer for, for a number of years. And the driver for hyperconvergence for, for those guys was was basically the onboarding and the tuping of some new staff. An opportunity came up, the company took it, and they found that they needed to, to move over um, just under a thousand seats in short term. Business property had to be, be purchased, people had to move over, desktops had to be provided. And it coincided with a, with a shift in, in desktop strategy. So uh, at that time, hyperconvergence was used to satisfy uh, that demand. I think from BDI, uh, hyperconvergence is, is excellent. And, and in this particular case, Nutanix has been uh, a, a real sort of plus, uh, allowing this, this business within inside uh, a few months to take on board just under a 1,000 people, spin them up a desktop, and, and for that desktop to be performant, to operate in a call center and allow this business, this financial services business, to transform and, and take on all these people and deliver, you know, deliver a call center successfully in a short amount of time. Where, where I think hyperconvergence um, across the board, and Nutanix in particular in this case, has, has really helped us is the fact that it's performant. It, it, it does exactly what it says. Storage has always been the biggest issue with VDIs. There's been lots of talk about you know, how many IOPS you need, um, there's been, you know, some really, some really quite conservative figures in, in the planning. If you read from Citrix and, and VMware, uh, there's been lots of, um, of people that have run sort of battles and bake-offs between various products and um, and how many IPs you need for, for certain technologies. But um, Nutanix delivers, you know, hundreds of thousands of IOPS for a, an eight-node block. I think we were seeing up to say a quarter of a million IOPS uh, delivered for just under a thousand desktops. And, and this is meant. This is out of probably the, the fifth or sixth um, BDI deployment that I've been involved with, um, this is the first deployment where we we just don't, all of the storage um, troubles, all of the storage limits have been completely removed. And what that's all added up to is that it's been quite easy to deploy, it's been quite easy to, to manage, um, and it's been performant and successful. And as, as a result of being successful, the business appetite for that has grown. And they want to put more people onto it. And this is where VDI, and I feel VDI solutions kind of fail. The initial proof of concept will work well with you know, the limited hardware that's been purchased for, for you know, a proof of concept or a limited deployment. And then come time to scale, you have to then start scaling out storage. And the cost, the storage bill will come in for, for you know, increasing the SAN, increasing the heads on the SAN, new disk trays and the like. And it starts to become cost prohibitive. Whereas with hyperconvergence and Nutanix, you buy an additional block, you get storage with that, it integrates really easily, you know, within sort of hours, and you've got additional compute and performance and capacity in, in one sort of installation. So it allows, for me, hyperconvergence and, and Nutanix uh, allows you to scale out, and it allows you to scale out that storage and compute linearly and makes it, again, gives, gives the business back this... Um, this agility by allowing you to scale quickly. What would it have looked like if they hadn't gone hyperconverged? This particular client. If this if this particular hadn't gone hyperconverged, it would have meant you know being able to install capacity for resource. So you know it would have meant some hosts of, of some sort, maybe blade servers or, or rack servers, um, and and or and and storage. So there'd be separate storage that would provide you know uh, either block or file storage to, to those hosts. So what you've got straight away is basically two teams now charged with delivering the one solution. 
and you could add into networks into that as well. I mean, networks plays a role in, in absolutely everything in, in your data centers, obviously. But you've got two teams, you've got two different sort of um, objectives, two, two different um, parts of the business that then have to liaise. And, and, and historically, you know, that, that, that relationship has obviously been close. Whereas, um, you know, you, you've got to plumb all those things in together. So it, it does give you that, that added complexity. Whereas with a hyperconverged solution, you've got one box. Once it's installed, everything's local. And I think that's the one thing that a traditional storage system can't give you. And that's the local running the most optimized storage um, that, that, that you can be running on at any one point. So hyperconvergence, Nutanix in particular, make sure that the data running on its virtual workloads is local on the host. So the host that's running the virtual machine, the virtual workload, the, the, the data for that virtual machine, uh, whatever hypervisor it sits on, runs on that particular host. And invariably it runs on the fastest tier of storage. It runs in SSD. Um, and, and that could be that could mean that in, in the Nutanix solution, certainly the solution you have at my current customer, um, you have over 800 gig of, of solid state disk, enterprise solid state disk per host running your virtual workload. And when you start looking at things like link clones um, and even full clone servers or full clone virtual desktops, that's all running in solid state disk. And, and that gives you incredible performance. There's obviously additional tiers of storage where cold data can be moved down and it can be it can be sort of dropped down to the capacity tier where, where it's not being called upon. But should it be called upon, it can be then escalated into a large amount of, of cash. With a, a remote storage system, you, you've always got that remote storage. It's, um, it's always connected by fiber channel or NFS, and you've always got that slight bit of latency between the two. As performant as it is, it can't be something that's directly attached to the server that it's running on. Mm. So fair to say that the, the development of, of flash storage has really um, brought this into, into reality. Yeah, absolutely. And not just for, um, for VDI. If anything, all the hyperconverged vendors, we've all come around, uh, Nutanix ourselves come around because of VDI. You know, we, we solve the use case there, with, as Darren was saying, where traditional VDI infrastructures fell, fell on their asses mainly because they were running off the spinning disks, so the disks weren't, weren't performing quick enough. Um, the network latency between that actual SAN and the actual ser servers where the VMs are running was causing further issues, and therefore you were providing users with a desktop that wasn't performing similarly or better than, uh, than their existing physical desktops. And then from ourselves being able to solve these problems um, and sh actually demonstrating it on large scales, um, other IT administrators have come along, the, the DBAs, the big data guys who are running SAP or Oracle have come along and said, hey, look, this is surely going to help us with our, our infrastructure, with our performance as well. And we've grown out with those workloads as we've seen people run Exchange on it, other server infrastructures on board it as well. Yeah, yeah, okay, great. So, so that's one, one particular customer that you've just referenced there, Darren. Um, are you seeing clients across the spectrum? Um, moving towards hyperconverged stacks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, obviously, financial services has, has got uh, you know its own unique requirements and um, hyperconvergence, and and certainly other solutions you know fit, fit with that fit with that very well. But uh, I think you've just got to look at the the headlines on the Nutanix site to see people from um, uh, or manufacturers uh, from 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 different industries. Uh, government organisations, you can see that you know lots of different people, and certainly being involved in Nutanix, the interest that, that, that comes through and, and kind of the history that, that we have at Extrovert with delivering Nutanix 
um, we're, we're getting calls and we're having conversations with customers uh, about it from from lots of different organisations. So uh, it's certainly not it's not it's not unique to one to one particular environment. It's not uh, unique to one particular one particular customer or type of business. I think it's uh, it's something that, that that you know can absolutely be deployed anywhere from a school to um, you know to a, a branch office of a major enterprise to to the headquarters or the data centre of that that major enterprise, whatever they may be dealing with. In fact, I think um, there's a number of government agencies that, that you cite or, or Nutanix cite as, um, as uh, you know, case studies. So, yeah, absolutely. I think it's, um, it's something across the board. It's, not, it's, not, it's not, certainly not a niche, a niche solution. Okay. And right. I, I'd echo that as well. Being an SE, I'm out and about talking to customers um, about Nutanix, how it will fit into the workloads that they've got. Uh, I've spoken to small customers who are only running, say, 20 or 30 VMs, just running a server infrastructure, currently got it sitting on four or five 2U servers with um, some uh, some NetApp storage attached to it, and it's all coming to the end of life, and they've got to relicense it or purchase new hardware. And then they've looked at us to say, well, can you offer something that's different? We've gone, yeah, we can actually not only provide you the hyperconvergence actually on the virtual side, we're giving you, in some respects, a hyperconvergence on the physical side as we take these 12, 13U of actual capacity, physical capacity that you're using, and bring it down into a 2U box, giving you the same performance, well, if not more performance than you've currently got for a cost that's, that's, that is actually um, quite enticing to small to medium businesses. And then as Dan says, even out to the large enterprises, because we are talking to customers about, let me see how we can replace your ex- existing storage, your existing servers. Very much on the, um, the performance side of things, from the experience Darren's got, from my side as well, recently I've been to, talking to a number of customers who want to replace something like Hitachi VSP storage, which gives them great performance, but it's just a real pain for them to manage and expensive for them to manage because they have to have people who are specifically trained in how to manage and work with that specific piece of storage. And then what happens when they have a major problem or they actually need to get some analytical data out of that storage? They've got to pay more consulting fees. When Nutanix, we just give you a platform that's easy for you to manage and easy for you to get the performance from it and easy for you to get analytical data back from it as well. Okay. And, and just to, to give a, a balanced environment um, or a balanced discussion, um, what are the the situations where you wouldn't want to go hyper-converged and, and what are the downsides that, that people need to also consider? Um, I'm, I'm not too sure about, about the first question. Um, maybe I'll, I'll let Grant. <laughs> so, um, but certainly, I, I think there, there's a couple of things with hyper-converged um, that I certainly found in, in my experience. And the first one is, is it's kind of, uh, you know, it's new. Um, people turn around and it's, uh, the question is, what's that? Uh, what, what you know, crikey! No, no one ever got sacked for designing a service and solution, right? Um, so something that's new in a business, um, I think people's comfort, you know, comfortability. However, people's um, people's comfort level with uh, a hyperconverged solution may may not be that mature really from from day one. Certainly, once you've run it, people are you know quite happy with it. So. Um, the initial conversation can be can be quite difficult, and people maybe don't trust it. Maybe they, they think, well, it's not been around enough. You know, we want to see it go through. You know, uh, the life cycle. Um, we don't want to speak to other customers, and, and generally, when they do speak to other customers, they're, they're, they're quite comfortable with that. So that that adoption, you know, it can be a bit of a, a leap of faith for for some companies because it's just not what they're used to. The the other side of it is, 
is the fact that um, uh, once it's in, in the deployed, obviously you've then got barriers to adoption. You've got people that are, you know, as Grant said, um, a company running a particular vendor's storage environment has got a storage team. Uh, they've also got maybe an infrastructure team, a core services team, for example, and they've had these silos of, of workloads where there's SMEs. You, you come, now comes along a, a different player with, you know, that's dramatically simplified the storage infrastructure. So, um, you know, SAN is obviously a specialised role um, to get the performance, the resilience, and, and the fault tolerance within a SAN, you know, requires, uh, you know, certain skills. It requires a certain amount of, of of um, you know, effort and, and people there to deliver that. The same from the server side. And now you're delivering a, a new technology that kind of doesn't fit in one camp or the other. It does complement both of their technologies, but it ultimately could replace or displace those those technologies. And, and that's sometimes, um, you know, you, you would see it some, some, some people, some personnel don't manage change well. And something like hyperconvergent comes along and it just upsets that balance. So people feel that maybe their, their job's at threat or that they have to retrain. The, on, the, on the upside, the retraining for something like hyperconvergence, a lot of skills are transferable. A lot of your, your standard hypervisor skills, a lot of your standard storage skills equally apply to, 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 to that solution. And Nutanix is, is fantastically easy, easy to support. It's obviously 100% software defined, um, and, and most of it's run from a command line or, or a really great um, Prism interface, which is obviously web-based. And, and it's it's super easy to learn and and to to sort of transfer that knowledge in, into those departments, but, but some people can put up barriers to, to that adoption. And the final the final point is hyperconvergence. It, you know, sort of equals high density as well. Um, one challenge I had in in designing a solution with limited limited data center space was that within the space of two racks with two switches at the top of that rack. We could scale that up to sort of many thousands of users. So, you know, this four square foot of data center could contain the majority of this particular business's, uh, business's workload. And, and, you know, that's seen as, as a high risk. So perhaps then thinking just the extra step, well, actually, do we, do we plan and protect for that, you know, separate power phases, you know, smaller racks, um, smaller densities? How, how do we make sure that we've got, you know, we don't have all our eggs in one basket? So that's kind of uh, you know a challenge. Uh, the two challenges I've kind of mentioned there—they're nice challenges to have, because, but it just shows you that how much hyperconversion is is rocking and shaking the market, hmm. you know, and the people that you're delivering into to, to just the, the 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 sheer fact that you have to you have to to think about things like you know you've got so much in such a small area. How do I protect myself from that? Thank you. Okay, and and just to pick up on one point there, when you, you mentioned, well, you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket. One thing that I've found in the blogosphere is, is people talking about vendor lock-in, not just in the hyperconverged part of the stack, but even in the um, virtualization layer. How does that relate um, to what you've just talked about in hyperconvergence? Well, I, I think there's two things there. Um, Nutanix supports um, uh, almost all hyper, um, uh, hypervisors out in the market now from KVM to um, Hyper-V, to vSphere, and, and its own Acropolis hypervisor now, uh, that, that again is, is going to, I think, you know, shake the marketplace up. Um, so at a software level, you've got the option to choose what, what you're most comfortable with. At the hardware level, um, Nutanix provide their own software, but they also have um, 
Uh, they also license or, or franchise their software um, with other vendors such as Dell and uh, IBM, I believe. Grant, and, my- yeah, and Lenovo. Yeah, so you've got partnerships with Dell and Lenovo. So to echo really what Darren said there, we, we're agnostic when it comes to the hypervisors. It's Hyper-V, vSphere uh, or ESXi and um, our own Acropis hypervisor, which is a fork of KVM. And we're, we give you now the ability to run each of those hypervisors within a Nutanix cluster. And we've also said, and we've, we've got this out here as well, that in the future we'll also give you the ability to seamlessly migrate a VM between each one of those hypervisors. So you may be running ESXi in your production environment, but you might want to then export one of those VMs into Acropolis for you to then run in your test and dev. So you won't be paying a licensing on Acropolis, which you will do or you, you need. You need that warm, fuzzy feeling of a, li- a vSphere licensing within your production environment. And then we will handle the seamless migration and conversion of that VM onto, onto the other hypervisor. When it comes to the hardware lock-in, well, you can always quite happily say back to people in that respect, you've already got hardware lock-in. You know, it's very rare that you'll go to a customer or work for an organization that is currently running HP Blade servers, and then we'll go off and start buying Dell Blade servers. Very rare that happens. You know, once you start buying hardware tin from one shop, you buy, you buy consistently from that shop. And back to that, yeah, we've got our partnerships with Lenovo and Dell to allow you to run our software on their platforms. And, and that's, that's a good point. I mean, the, the company um, that I'm currently working at, has has utilised the Nutanix hardware, and uh, certainly they they and that's for you know specifically you know one use case. They have another use case where they they've already got a, a particular manufacturer, um, and they're running with with their hardware. And now those those uh, strategic alliances that you've you've got with those other companies actually could complement um, those environments. So it, it actually I think then gives you that agility to to move from you know. To, well, to deploy hyperconvergence into other areas that maybe you know you, you, you've already got deployed and developed, so you can maybe then, as as a lot of soft, uh, storage optimization tools do, you can actually extend the life of, of, of that existing kit and, and get more out of it because the software is is doing the tuning for you and and actually making the best use of the of the hardware on on that environment. And I'll refer back to my earlier point about SSD drives running locally on the hosts rather than using a SAN that's over uh, a connection that has some in, in inherent latency just by its design. Okay, thanks for that. Um, just to, speaking of software, perhaps Grant, you could tell us a little bit about the Microsoft partnership and, and why an Azure consistent environment is, is important for the enterprise data center. Yeah, so we've been working really closely with Microsoft um, with the Hyper-V running on our platform um, to allow you to run Azure stack uh, and Azure pack in your, in your current data center on the Nutanix platform and then stretching that environment out onto Azure. So really where we've talked about around all this, you know, is the cloud right for most enterprises or is an on-premise cloud better, which is what Nutanix is offering? Or with the case of the Azure side of things, it's actually allowing you then to run a hybrid cloud instance. So you run your VMs, uh, your infrastructure on your local Nutanix cluster, your on-site, on-premise cloud infrastructure. And then for those times when you need to be elastic and buying more hardware isn't an option or lead times are too long or maybe it's just it's going to be a short tenure where you just need to be elastic and grow out just for a short period of time in these VMs, 
that consistency with Azure then will allow you to burst out onto the Azure platform, spin up those VMs for, for the period of time that you need them, and then bring them back onto the platform either when you've bought more um, capacity, when you've removed some, some of the capacity, maybe you've turned off some dead VMs, and we give you that ability to actually uh, analyze and bring back that information from within Prism, or maybe when you just need to um, expand out further. Do you think I might be able to coin a phrase and call that hyperconverged cloud burst? <laughs> I've already marketed it. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's, that's a great, that's, that is a great phrase of putting it. It's a good way of putting it in that space. Because as I said, we, we want you to have a hybrid cloud instance because some TTOs are so focused or some IT administrators are so focused on the cloud. And we do know it's right for some, some instances. So those short tenure periods when, as you, when they say, you just need to expand for a short period of time. One of our reference customers um, is a, a, a fitness, uh, a gym membership, and in the, sum, in the start of the year, that's exactly what they do. They run um, Nutanix with a Hyper-V on the platform with Azure Pack built into it, and then come the start of the year when we all sign up to go to the gym, and they just need to spin up some VMs for that time to expand out their databases, they burst in onto Azure for that very instance, and then through the months later when we all start revoking our gym membership, that's when they come back onto premise because they don't need all of that extra capacity that they've burst onto. Interesting. So, so back over to you then, Darren. Um, for those that are listening to this thinking, right, I, I, I do need to start thinking about where this hyperconvergence could fit into, the, into my future plan. What sort of questions need to be answered when they start going through that process? I, I think it's the same as... Um as any technology or, or, or any technology refresh or technology plan that, that you might approach, um, you, you've got to understand what your requirements are first, really. Lots of customers we go to kind of don't really know what they need to achieve. I think if you've got an understanding of your, your current requirements, your current issues that you face, what challenges you're looking to, to, to solve, what, what um, new features you're looking to provide, what value you're looking to provide to the business with your IT solution. That's kind of the same across the board. I don't think there's anything unique to hyperconvergence, unless you have actually got a really complex environment and you're looking to simplify it. So, you know, just having a really good understanding and having a methodology in there for your project, having the, the right personnel involved. Obviously, you know, lots of companies, they go out to big system integrators and, and you know, they, they've got a you know, great re track record in, in, in the market, you know, on large transformations, but it really is about the quality of people that you get to deliver that. So making sure you've got the right people defining the, the questions, asking the questions, designing the solution. I think you just approach hyperconvergence as you would any other major infrastructure project. Okay, thank you. And anything to add to that, Grant? No, I think uh, Darren's absolutely right. Um, don't be afraid of the new. In some respects, I'd say that. Um, definitely, it's, it's not dissimilar from the old. It's just a, a better way of doing it. But yeah, um, always try and plan these big projects out. And certainly as Nutanix, we always go to customers and say, again, as we said at the top of this call, that let's not go in and do a complete rip and replace because that's just not going to happen. You don't, have, you don't have the manpower to do all of that. You know, you've got existing operational difficulties and you don't want us to come in and just dump a whole load of hardware on you and then you spend months migrating all your VMs onto it. The beauty of the scale-out architecture is exactly that. Buy what you need now, migrate those VMs onto it as part of the project plan, see how they perform, and then start scaling out accordingly as you need to bring on those other workloads as, as they best fit onto it. So yeah, planning with all of these projects is, is key. And in some respects, definitely seeing where customers have failed because they have gone ahead and tried to treat it 
very much like an existing three-tier architecture. Let's just forklift truck it in and we'll move on to it when we've got time. No, take your time on these, these things. Plan mm. it out. Mm. Great. Thank you. So as we uh, start to wrap up now, I'm on to the, my favourite question, and I'll throw this to each of you in turn. So, uh, Darren, where do you see the future heading? And what predictions do you have for folks that are thinking about the three to five year horizon in this area? Looking to the future, I, I don't think anyone's got a crystal ball and, and can look and, and can predict quite where things are going to go. New technologies are coming out all the time. If you asked me that question three to four years ago, you, you might have turned around and, and, and not even had hyperconvergence convergence on, on your mind. I think, you know, business is going to carry on as they are. There's still going to be a demand for on-premise and off-premises IT. There's still going to be a demand for, you know, um, full-time employees and companies to deliver these solutions. There's still going to be a demand for, for, for offshoring. And, 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 and the whole, you know, the whole landscape isn't going to change too greatly. I, I think the, the conversions already started with things like hyperconvergence in those subtle changes in the data center where we've got unwieldy, big unwieldy projects of old, you know, the service and infrastructure, that's already started to change now. And just as when virtualization was young, um, it was kind of uh, an ad hoc or um, a unique use case for, for service to be virtualized. You look in the data center now and, and it's virtually 90% virtualized. And the, the move for, to desktops has maybe, and the adoption of virtual desktops has maybe been a, a little bit slower. I would see that hyperconvergence is now making that kind of move into the data center. So I think where you've got a lot of companies now that are maybe 100% traditional, you'll start to see hyperconvergence making that move. Whether there's any additional or, or new technologies over the horizon waiting to take us by storm, that I, I suppose um, is, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Time will tell. You couldn't be any more honest than that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and now uh, over to you, Grant. What do you see the future? Um, bringing perhaps perhaps even in the next couple of years for, for the hyper Yeah, so I, I definitely see hyperconvergence becoming more and more to the forefront. I think that's quite clear when the big players like EMC, Cisco, HPE are bringing out their own hyperconverged uh, platform. So that's definitely going to take more and more and be start, start changing the data center um, in its own way. When it comes to the jobs um, or our jobs, I don't see jobs disappearing, but I do see people becoming more and more generalists, being not so focused on the storage or virtualization um, or, or even the OS. I think people are going to become more generalized in those, in those environments, which is something we were all talking about. All right? IT operational managers a couple of years ago were, wanted us all to be generalists, but I think now the opportunities are there to become generalists. Sadly, I don't think that's going to apply to the networking guys because you know, they, they definitely um, ring fence what they do and, and make sure everything runs. But I think as well, when it comes to the networking side, software-defined networking is going to become a bigger play um, and then maybe bring networking into that generalist role then as well because that becomes more of a virtualization play. On the hardware side, I think we're going to see definitely currently we're, we're already running in a hybrid um, instances where we're using um, SSD um, for the writes and some of the reads, where it's using HDD SATA disks um, for capacity side of things, I think in the near future you're going to see that change as SSC drives become bigger and therefore cheaper, all flash arrays are going to become more prevalent and similarly along those lines I think we'll start seeing NVMe take come on board and actually be where the right layer is so we still have something providing a high, very high throughput on IOPS and something else giving us a capacity side of things. So yeah, I think that 
that, from my perspective, that answers it. I think on three different levels. Yep, hyperconverged is definitely going to be becoming more and more in the front. People's jobs are going to be changing as they become more generalized. And I think scripting in that respect is going to take on more of a role as well. And finally, the hardware is just going to evolve and become uh, more efficient, shall we say, or, or quicker. And, and just, just to add on that, I think you pulled up about the software-defined data center there or mentioned, mentioned that. Um, there's been lots of new technologies um, coming out in, in, you know, to, um, to assist with you know, the software-defined data center. And, and a lot of these new products come out, you know, in, in early versions. Lots of new players enter the market. And in, in the next three to five years, what we'll see is the settling of that. We'll see that the major players will still be there, obviously. Some of the startups will, will come and go. But for me, we'll start to see which of these new technologies, which of these technologies that, you know, maybe virtualize the network, um, which of these assist with the software-defined data center. We'll start to see which ones build on their features, which ones become more feature complete, and who actually starts to, to kind of win that corner in the market, if you like. And, and that should then give us a, a sort of shift into, into actually whether these solutions are worth adopting, whether they're going to be more viable, whether they're there for the long run, or whether they, they just are short-term fads that you know, don't really, don't really like, you know, survive the long race. Very good. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for the honesty. And, uh, and really enjoyed this chat. So thanks for being part of it. And we'll obviously have your contact details in the show notes. And uh, thank you again. That brings us to the end of another episode of Cloud Insiders. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. And to find out more and access show notes and downloads, head over to cloudinsiders.fm. You can track us on Twitter at Cloud Insiders. And we'd love you to leave us a review on iTunes. See you next time.